CRC FM Sports with Guinea's Castle Bar, home to Mayo's best range of ready-made curtains and accessories. Cycling now, and much of the news has been dominated by the success of Sam Bennett. And we are talking to a former competitor of his, Jay Daly. Jay, a very good afternoon to you. Afternoon, Quibbing. How are you doing? You were saying uh, just off air, Jay, that when you were competing against him and you witnessed him at a, at a very early age, it was quite clear to see that he had a, a bright future ahead of him. Yeah, um, Sam was a kind of a name around Irish cycling since he was kind of under 14. But at that stage, I was still racing abroad, so I wouldn't have come across him. Came across him at 16 when I was coaching on a training camp. And you could tell early on that, you know, he had it. The same way Mark Scanlon from Sligo, when he came through um, in in 2000, he had it as well. So you can almost tell someone has or, or don't at an early age. Like, for instance, uh, as you said off air, uh, Sam won the Junior Tour of Ireland, which was instantly based in Castle Bar in 2008. He was national champion. And he was also world junior point safe champion at 17 years of age. So that in itself is going to tell you, okay, this guy has a massive pedigree. Then finally, the following season, then I finally got the race against Sam. When he was only 18, he won a stage in the Ross, if the Ross. Um, and at 18, he was the youngest stage winner ever to win a stage in that race. And like you're thinking, my God, he's doing what guys have wished the whole career to do and can't do. Um, eventually then he turns pro in 2010 and he, I suppose he finally hits the big time in 2012, 11, 12, 13 when he's riding for on post Sean Kelly team and obviously then as he's, he's um, Pamar has improved he got on bigger and better teams um, ultimately then he raced for Neda Bora who's Peter Sagan's team and he was literally under study to Peter Sagan who has won the green jersey seven times so essentially as he was under study to Peter Sagan he was allowed to ride the Giro d'Italia and the Volta he rode his first Tour de France in 2016 where he actually broke three fingers and finished last now anyone has broken fingers you know how agony the fingers are but you try and pull brakes in a professional biker it's broken fingers it ain't easy. So obviously, Sean, sorry, I'm from Sean Kelly there. Obviously, Sam, no question, he's, he's made of uh, steel. Very strong guy, nice guy, very down to earth. If anybody saw his post race interview, I don't know if you saw it when he broke down in tears. Like he's a genuine nice guy, and I think anybody in our cycling wishes him the very, very best. Yeah, it was really impressive to see the the emotions that overcame him in the aftermath of winning that stage. You know, it just shows the amount of dedication, the amount of work that all led up to that uh, successful stage win. Well, exactly. Like Sam is twenty nine now, so he is has been in his peak years. So the age between about twenty seven to thirty one, thirty two are the peak years for a sprinter, and this is his second time riding to the France and I suppose he's getting to a stage of when is it going to happen for me that I'm finally going to break the duck and win a Tour de France stage win it's happened for him and I think he will win another stage before the race finishes like there's eight stages to go and listeners that don't follow so I can put it, put it in perspective he's now 66 points ahead of Peter Sagan the seven time winner 
Sagan is a better climber than Sam. Each day over the next over the next week, there is one intermediate sprint on the mountain stages. So Sam has to be switched on from kilometer zero to ensure that he's still getting points. At the 50, each day, there's going to be a sprint between 40 to 50 kilometers early in the stage. So mentally, Sam and his team have to be switched on from the start of the stage to ensure Peter Sagan does not take points early on the stage. And then they've got to be vigilant to get Sam to the finish each day and not to waste too much energy. Yeah. Because at the last, as the final days come to France, then you're back on the flat roads and then it's back to the sprint stages. But these mountain stages, they're mentally taxing as well as physically taxing. And Peter Pierce again has done it seven times. He's far more experienced. But with that being said, Sam's team, Quick Step, they are built around getting Sam to the finish in one piece and hopefully to another stage. His gap is big at the moment. Yes, it is. Because two years ago, Sagan was really at last place for pushing and shoving in the sprint. But I do feel, given the experience of Sagan, this green jersey will go down to the last day in Paris. So it's all to play for. No, I know a gap of six, six points sounds like an awful lot, but in, in, in pro cycling, anything can happen on a day. You can have a bad day. Uh, you, you, you may not eat enough. You have a crash. So it's all to play for so far. Yeah, it's been a really incredible week for a uh, for Sam Bennett, and no more so is Irish success when it's being claimed across the water. I'm just going to play you very quickly a short clip from Bradley Wiggins, and uh, he was on talking alongside Sean Kelly during the week. Relatively young in cycling terms, he's a young sprinter as well, really, and um, it's great. We can almost consider him British. I know that you lot won't like that, will you? But you know. I've known Sam quite a few years in terms of racing people they don't know him personally. <laughs> no, but you know, it's just, it's a, you know, we spoke to him at the Volta last year when he came on our, our, mm. our show and, you know, it's, um, at least we understand what he's saying. Can't really understand what you're saying, Sean, can we? But it's just... Um, yeah, that was uh, Bradley Wiggins speaking there. Uh, with the amount of ignorance that really is just quite surprising, really. When you first heard that, uh, Jay, what was your thought? What were your thoughts? I was thinking, has Mr. Wiggins been consuming far too many jelly beans with, with his coffee and had a sugar rush to his head? Uh, like, look, Bradley Wiggins, he is not a light personality in the world of cycling. He, yes, he has won a Tour of France. He has won multiple track titles. But he was part of that Sky team and their practices were doobies at best. So Bradley Wiggins is not a light personality in cycling. And I am amazed that Sean Kelly... Could hold, could hold his counsel because he insulted Sean live on air yeah. and to claim an Irish rider as British and to refer to Irish people as you lot. He was ignorant and it was a behaviour that I wouldn't expect from a former world champion, Olympic champion. But then again, you know, he's, he's live on air. Did he have, did he have um, just a rush of exuberance to his head? But but they dig at Sean as well. was very poor saying that... Um, he couldn't understand when Sean has been commenting or speaking. That, that, that was in very poor form. Look, uh, I'm going to chip in here as well because I, I hadn't heard that clip until now and um, I think we even saw the, the, the disdain on my face when I realised what he had said. 
as Paul Maskell said, famously said, I'm Irish, and I think uh, Sam Bennett needs to come out and say that. It happened to Dermot Kennedy recently as well, where he was being accused of being English, and uh, he didn't take that too well. So I'm just sick and tired of... Whenever the Irish are downplayed in the sporting world, it's all because they're replaced with, oh, he's British. The Americans do it th- themselves. So, like, just realise we're not the British. We're, we're our own country, and I think Sam Bennett... I think it's an insult to Sam Bennett for him to nearly consider him British because he's fought hard to be in the place that he has. He he all his success comes from his racing days here in Ireland and and it kind of just really rattles your bones when you when you hear someone who is as uh, well he like Jay said he doesn't have as good a, a a personality in the cycling world but he has such a reputable cycling cycling career that I think he should know better than not to stow controversy by. Uh, something like that. I yeah. think it stems from as well um, when Bradley Wiggins, sorry, I thought you said Bradley Wiggins was a product of the British cycling system from the track system and ultimately the, the sky system. As a rider, he was not allowed to speak out in the media. He would only give stage managed comments that he was told to say by the PR guru. And now, since he's retired, all of a sudden, he has developed an opinion on everything. And his behavior on your sport, I, I think, personally, I think was disgraceful. And, like, Sean Kelly is a gentleman. I know the man personally. And I'm surprised, Sean. I, I actually, I, I will bet off air, Sean, I would think, definitely had a go at, at Wiggins. But, Sean, we too much a gentleman to do it on air. Yeah, I think he did very well to keep his cool. I think a lot of people were surprised he didn't uh, feel the urge to, to to speak out or, or even raise his fist towards him, to be honest, because it was an initial ignorance, as you say, but then to kind of add kind of a snide personal insult to Sean Kelly himself and his career of, of commentating since his, since he's retired is a is a bit of much a step too far. And just, just also, as an aside, um, two weeks ago when Katie Taylor retained her undisputed uh, lightweight titles. Um, one of her former competitors who was commentating for Sky Sports also referred to Katie Taylor as British. Had to come out on Twitter and apologise afterwards. Do you think so? so go on, so, sorry, go ahead. Sometimes, do you, do you think we're maybe a bit too quick to, to be, you know, thin-skinned about these kind of things? Maybe not the Bradley Wiggins example, but, you know, in terms of, of people confusing the nationalities, uh, conflating Ireland and, and the UK, can you... Not not in the slightest, not in the slightest. The Irish Treaty was signed on the 6th of December, 921. I know my history, I'm a student of history. We have been independent for over 100 years. Okay, so it is disingenuous from any person to blur the lines between our nationalism vis-a-vis British nationalism. I'm sorry, but I, I don't accept it. It's not as if we, we got independence five years ago. I, I, I don't accept it. And when a public figure like Barry Wiggins derides our nationality live, live on air with a huge audience that goes across Europe in Eurosport and is translated across Europe, I, I was shocked and appalled. Mm. And just getting back to the to the cycling, Jay, 
coming up ahead in the next week or so what should a new cycling enthusiast who are going to be joining the bandwagon and following Sam Bennett in the weeks ahead what should they look out for? Okay, tomorrow is a rest day a Ballinita rest day so the riders will go out and do an easy tour ride just to keep literally the blood flowing Um, then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday they are the three huge three stages back to back in the Alps that all have mountaintop finishes. Each day, as I already pointed out, there is one, one sprint between the 40 to 50 kilometre mark. And as I pointed out, Sam's team have to ensure that Sagan doesn't pick up points and also ensure that Sam gets through those three stages conserving as much energy as possible so that when it goes back onto the flatter ground towards the latter end of next week, Sam can satisfy his points, ultimately take the green jersey into Paris. So the next three stages are key to save energy, stay out of trouble and essentially just solidify things. Brilliant stuff. Jay Daly, thank you very much for your time here on the Saturday Sports Show and enjoy the week of cycling ahead. You too. Enjoy. Bye-bye. CRCFM Sport with Guinea's Castle Bar, home to Mayo's best range of ready-made curtains and accessories. I'm delighted to say I'm joined on the line by former cyclist and CRCFM contributor Jay Daly. Jay, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon. How are you doing? Uh, looking at Sam Bennett throughout the the week, we we talked last week, Jay, on the show about how he was in such a, a firm position. He looked likely to retain the green green jersey as he had a, the lead on Peter Sagan, and he looks like inexperience isn't going to cost him, and he seems to be quite sure of himself. Well, as we discussed last week, it turned out exactly as we had discussed. We had said that um, every day during the mountain stages, at the 40-kilometre mark each day, there would be an intermediate sprint, and Sam had to each day take points in that sprint, which he did, and then get to the stage finish every day, surrounded by his teammates without crashing or suffering from a hunger knock, and literally conserve energy every day. And that's exactly what he's done. Um, he picked up uh, more points yesterday. He actually got in the break with about 30k to go along with Saigon. And the tactic yesterday simply was a rider called Anderson from Denmark attacked with 15k to go. Uh, Saigon knew that, okay, if I chase after Anderson, Sam, Sam's going to be my wheel and vice versa. So Sam Bennett lets Anderson go up the road. No one chases. Anderson wins the stage. Three riders then came up to front with a clear two to go. Dick taking more points, and then Sam finishes eighth on the stage. Sagan finishes ninth. So the way it stands now is Bennett is on 319 points. Sagan is on 264, which is a difference of 55. And Massimo Trenton is on 250. So basically, there is still one day to go tomorrow. Today, it's a time trial. Uh, so there's no points on offer today for Green Jersey. So the way it works is tomorrow there is yet another intermediate sprint on which there's uh, 20 points for the winner and there's 50 points for the winner of the stage. So there is 70 points to play for tomorrow. Sam has a 55-point lead. So obviously tomorrow Sam's going to be very vigilant, vigilant, I should say, at the opening sprint of the day. And obviously then the objective is to cap off what's been a fantastic tour with win the final stage down the Champs-Élysées. Now, Peter Sagan went on social media last night and conceded the green jersey to um, Sam, 
but I think that's just simple gamesmanship on the part of Sagan. He's won it seven times. He's going to fight all over to Paris. He obviously wants to win the stage tomorrow. And should he take points in that intermediate sprint, he would be out to play for. But tomorrow, I think we're in for a grand finish down the Champs-Élysées. And it's Sagan versus Trenton versus Bennett for the stage win. Yeah, it's going to be a really tantalising one tomorrow evening down the Champs-Élysées. Uh, looking at... Sam Bennett, I suppose the most of the focus of the Irish sporting world has been fixed upon him. And uh, speaking with the Irish Times, they managed to resurface an old video of him for RTE stating how he doesn't want to be the next Stephen Roach. He doesn't want to be the next Sean Kelly. He wants to be the next Sam Bennett. And he lo- looks to be on course to do that and make history for himself. But looking at that... Just similarly with the Peter Sagan tweet conceding last night, you used to call it gamesmanship. Does it require a certain type of mentality to reach that elite level of cycling? I think to reach elite level in any sport, one has to be essentially iron-willed and be prepared to be laser-focused and go training on the days where the weather is horrendous um, you're not feeling 100% and there you go the extra mile. That's indicative of any form of sport. And Sam has that in spades. And as we discussed last week, Sam was touted incorrectly as the next Sean K. Stephen Roach as a teenager. And as you said in your piece there, that he wanted to be the first time Benedict, which, which shows the confidence and the single mindedness that Sam almost had, even as a young writer. Yeah, it's really kind of reassuring to see that as well. He's he's very much his own man and well able to uh, put it up there against seven-time winner Peter Sagan as well. That's a quite incredible achievement already for the young man from Carrick and Shore. He was born in Belgium and it seems like he had quite a, a nomadic European lifestyle from his early years. Yeah, um, his father was playing professional football in Belgium and then Sam moved back to Carrick and Shore when he was four years of age, uh, played soccer until uh, teenager years, and then he discovered quite early on as a teenager that he was uh, a prodigy for cycling and focused primarily on cycling. He subsequently then went to study recreation and management um, in college, but obviously uh, when one is winning national titles at 18 years of age, winning a, a world title on the track at 18, I think your destiny lies at being professional athletes and just on the Tour de France itself, it's been a, I suppose, one of the few major tournaments and sporting events to kind of go ahead. It seems to have gone ahead without any major hiccup, fortunately, for the event organisers. How have you thought of the of this year's quite unique uh, Tour de France? Well, one is used to seeing, especially the mountain stages. Like, for instance, you take a sta- the, the stage on Monday... Uh, it went over three Alpine passes, and normally on the Alpine passes, you would get in excess of 100,000 people on, on the roadside, and you'll see uh, crazed, drunken fans running beside the riders off encouragement. This year, you didn't see that. So from a spectator point of view, and having been to big races, not seeing the, um, the large swell spectators on the road encouraging the riders, that would actually made the race safer for the riders because in the past, riders have been knocked off by fans and and drunken fans do tend to block the road. So in actual fact, it made the mountain stage actually safer. And it actually did. 
And do you think that it's something that, that is here to stay in terms of making it safer as well for the participating athletes? No, um, cycling is one of the very few professional sports that is free to the general public. The organisers of any professional race, they can't close off the roads to the fans and put up barriers. Okay, the barriers go up in the last uh, two or three kilometres and then the fans are behind the barriers. But on the open road, it's impossible to put up barriers on a 200-kilometre stage. So no, um, fans will return to the sport, same way fans will return to all sports and I hope it returns next season. Yeah, I think for for sure. I think we're all hold, holding on to for hope towards twenty twenty one in terms of some normality back into the I suppose sporting calendar as well as our own normal day to day lives. Uh, Jay Daly, anything else that's coming up next week in the uh, sporting week that you want to cast an eye on? I, I just want to I just want to say go back to the France. Uh, there's a, a chap called Alejandro Valverde, a Spanish chap, writes for movies there. Alejandro turns 41 this winter, uh, former world champion, and Alejandro is now sitting in 10th place in Tour de France. So, and Alejandro, he was a neighbour of mine for a couple of years in Murcia, so he's still there, finished top 10 in Tour de France. So it just shows that uh, age is only a number if the mindset is right. That's incredible achievement. 40 years of age and he's, he's top 10 in the Tour de France. Yeah, he's sitting in tenth place in Tour de France. He's a former world champion, so this guy has a a, ped, a, ped, a very long pedigree in the sport. But I just think for a man who's forty-one this winter, he's going to finish tenth in Tour de France, and he's, he's still the best rider on his team. That's just some, it. Just goes back to the mindset of a pro athlete. That if the mind, if the mind's right, the body can achieve and exceed its expectations. Yeah, Carlo Ancelotti was, I think, saying yesterday that Seamus Coleman can play up, up until he's 40. So I think there's just hope for a lot of us. Uh, just in terms of Alejandro Valverde, Jay, before I let you go, would you have trained with him? Would you have gotten a glimpse into what it was like to have the mentality of uh, somebody who's at the age of 40 finishing top 10 in the Tour de France? Well, when I trained with Alejandro, that was back, what, I he would have been 20. I would have been what? I would have been 34. So he would have been a young writer. I was coming to the end. So again, it's a matter, you get up, you get up early, you eat, you train, you come back, you massage, you sleep, you go out and do a sex session that night and you rinse and repeat the following day. So in pro cycling, as in all pro sports, it is the case of Groundhog Day. There's, there's no there's no frills. So what one sees on TV with the fans and the glamour and media and all that yeah that, that's on on day that one competes but what happens behind the scenes it's boring it's Groundhog Day you get up I said you get up you train you eat you sleep repetitively and you travel that's it and how many people would be involved around one single athlete or cyclist on a pro team in terms of coaches you know physiotherapists how many people would they have surrounding themselves to keep them okay. at that top level a, a pro a pro team would have a roster of twenty five to thirty riders first and foremost, and that that that, that team then would ride. There's a, there's a war tour calendar in a normal year, so literally two teams would be on the road simultaneously at opposite in the globe competing, and then one then the reserve riders then are training. Um, every team the road to Tour de France would have a team bus three team cars, and in, in that then you're going to have between four and six mechanics, 
four to six masseuses and two distinct team managers. So essentially, for a team, a team of eight in the Tour de France, you're going to have a staff of 20 behind those eight, including, as I said, the mechanics, the masseuses, the chiropractors, team doctor, and two team managers. That's just for Tour de France at one race. So the backup staff is phenomenal. Like the Tour de France, essentially, it's a traveling circus in excess of 3,000 people traveling around France in joy for three weeks. And the logistics behind it are phenomenal. The phenomenal logistics. Everything has to be quite well geared, oiled, ready for, you know, performing at the, at the highest level, but also in terms of organizing it, it must take an awful lot of money to, to keep it up and running. Yeah, um, a, big, a big team would have a, would have a budget. And now, if you, if you put cycling in terms of, um, like, a premiership team, the, the, the numbers pale in comparison. Like, a top pro team would have a budget of, 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 of a top, top team, have a budget in the region of 15, 20 million euros, which, compared to a premiership soccer team or an NFL team, is minuscule. The winner of the Tour de France, first place in Tour de France, the prize money is five hundred thousand euros. Yeah, that's which poultry. That, that pays in comparison to tennis, soccer, NFL, or any, or any of we call quote unquote the mainstream sports. So how cycling works is every rider gets their salary paid by the sponsor. Okay, then every race across the calendar, there's prize money to be won by the team. All the prize money that's won by the team is put into a central pot. And then in the season, the masseuses, the, me- the mechanics, which aren't so well paid, uh, the chiropractors, and every member of that team will share from the pot. And that's how it works. So a rider can go through a professional career, not win very much in regarding races, actually not win a race at all, but still make quite a good living for himself if he's on a team that is riding at the top level and that team is winning and getting placed across, across the calendar year. But if you compare what a, a pro bike rider makes vis-a-vis uh, your Ronaldo or your Messi, it's, it, it literally, it's, it's, it's minuscule. Yeah, that's incredible. I was looking at the, the US Open, the golf this weekend, I think it's about $13 million the winner would, of, of that would get. Yeah, if you take for, yeah, that's, if you take for instance something like, like NFL, Tom Brady on the the latter in his career, has signed a two-year contract with Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and he's paid by Tampa Bay $50 million for those two years, irrespective of performance of bonuses. That's $50 million guaranteed. Now, obviously, Brady's the greatest quarterback of all time, so he can command that fee even at 42 years of age, I think he is. But just paying a comparison to what a pro boycott would make. Yeah, it's really and and the amount of work I suppose not to degrade Tom Brady's lifetime achievements, but I would imagine the the level of training and the re- repetitive nature of cycling, the wear and tear it puts on your body, it should be deserving of of something more than five hundred k for the for the winner of the Tour de France. Look, that's that's just that's just the way it is. But you know, like professional professional bike racing, professional bike racing, um, mainly in Europe it's almost been considered a working-class sport. And cycling, I suppose, in Ireland, um, irrespective of the heyday of the Sean Kelly, Stephen Roach era in the, the 80s and early 90s, cycling in Ireland never really caught on as a, a mainstream spectator sport. Now, 
in re- in recent years with the advent of the bike to work scheme, obviously cycling has become relatively popular as a, a leisure-based sport. But the numbers actually racing in Ireland on the Irish on the Irish circuit are very very low compared to the leisure market guys that want to go out on a weekend and simply ride their bikes. So there is a very small critical critical mass of talented riders in this country coming through because the talent pool is so small, which makes Sam Bennett's achievement even more monumental. Yeah, I think it's going to be one that's going to be celebrated, not just in Carrick Shore, not just in uh, in Belgium, it's going to be all across Ireland. Jay Daly, thank you very much for joining us here on the Saturday Sports Show. You're more than welcome. Have a great day. Bye-bye. We're going to be turning our attention for the final time of this season to cycling and of the Tour de France. Great news from an Irish interest, Sam Bennett, the Irish sprinter from Carrick and Shore, won the green jersey in the end. And we've had and appreciated the contributions of Jay Daly throughout the Tour de France itself. And we are joined on the line by Jay once again. What is it like to see somebody that you have raced with and against in the past, Jay, see them fly through the Champs-Élysées in such joy and ceremony? I said to Aidan during the week, I'm not the most emotional person in the world. But see Sam and the Champs-Élysées, it did really uh, bring out the emotion in me. It's amazing to see somebody that you saw in the infancy of his career go all the way and reach literally the top of the world and win the unofficial Sprinters World Championship on the Champs-Élysées. Uh, no Irishman has ever won the Champs-Élysées, so it was an amazing achievement. It surely was. How do you think he will kick on from here? Many people didn't expect him to win Tour de France so soon. Is there potential here for him to dominate the category for some time now? Okay, uh, look, the last six years, Sam was riding um, with with, uh, Bora along with Peter Sagan. And Sagan was the star of the team, given the fact that he'd won the jersey seven times and also was three-time world champion. So Sam was never sent to the Tour to win the green jersey on the board. He rode a tour once in 2016 and finished last. So Bora didn't really give Sam the respect that he deserved. And then when, once Sam changed teams, then he was riding for himself. He was a team leader. And his team was built around Sam winning a stage or two and ultimately winning the green jersey and beating Peter Sagan. So Sam Bennett, over the next four years, I would expect a second or third green jersey and a probable world championship win when the World Championships are held on a flat circuit. So I think he'll win a World Championship as well. Wow, there, there's some really ambitious uh, hopes for Sam. Uh, really one that I think we'd all like to see. The idea of a velodrome being built, a purpose-built uh, cycling dome in this country for the first time ever has been mooted and supported by the Irish Sporting Council. Do you think this is a, a project w- which would have your backing, Jay? And do you think it's something that high time we've had a velodrome here in this country there's been talk of a velodrome being built since I was working for Cycling Ireland 10-12 years ago it's still talk it should have been built um, in Athlone I think or or in the original plans for the University of Limerick there was plans for it to be built there as well Uh, this is high time for it to be built and for for a country of ours such a small nation that, that almost punches above its weight internationally Given our employment weather, a velodrome is, I think, the next step forward to building the next generation of top-level Irish riders. I think it makes a huge difference when 
you have a, a roof over these over these uh, new projects because the country we live in, undeniably, you're going to get close to 360 days of the year of rain. And if we continue to build things outdoors, exposed to the elements, we're going to see less games actually played on them and less use of them. It's a huge benefit when we can actually have them enclosed and safe to use all year round. Well, looking at pretty perspective, uh, in 2008, uh, David David Lock, David Lockson, another former teammate and personal friend of mine, David Lockson rode the Olympic Games in Beijing on the track in the four-tier pursuit. Preparing for the for Olympic Games, David was going to Belgium, Manchester and Mallorca to train on a bi-weekly basis on a velodrome because there wasn't one in the country. But David will be from Kong, achieved his goal, went to the Olympics, not with the help of, of Psych in Ireland or Sports Council, but at the behest of them. He did it himself, literally. Self-funded by his own team. Because otherwise, David would have made the Olympics. So, we were, we're always proud that it was such a great country, punch of weight and all that. But unless the infrastructure and tools are put in place for young athletes, there's barriers put in their place straight away. And not every rider or sports person is going to be as single-minded as a Sam Bennett or David Lachlan. So that's why I think the building of the velodrome, albeit it's 10 years too late for, for me and Sam and my generation, but for the next generation, I think they have to do it. Yeah, and I think certainly the chance of, of reaping what we sow now in, in terms of the future, having a further Irish sporting success is something everybody wants, not just to see someone you know, like claiming on to the, onto the success of a major athlete for their own kind of personal political gain that we have seen in the past, you know, acting that's like... A, that's a great point, Oshin, that's a great point. Well said. And it looks as if the... Um, it's it's going to hopefully change. You you say talk is cheap, and you've heard it all before in your time in cycling Ireland, uh, Jay. But it's something that could get to go ahead sooner rather than later, and would be a huge benefit. Well, it, there's no question it'll be a huge benefit. But given the impending economic crisis that we're going to experience post COVID, the government is going to have even less funding to invest in. A multi-million euro uh, capital project is building a velodrome. So time will tell. I think it may happen, but it might take another five years. Yeah, uh, it takes a long time, I suppose, to get up up to the up to the specs, up to the high grade. Hopefully, maybe then we can invite Sir ba- Bradley Wiggins uh, over to Ireland, and he can he can maybe take part and, and go for a cycle <laughs> around the place. I think after our last conversation, neither of us will be lining up to shake his hand. No, I, I think for sure. I think he'll be uh, a lot of people neglecting his calls if he was ever to, to come over this side of the pond, unfortunately for him. Uh, finally, just on the difference between a sprinter and the green jersey, yellow jersey, we had a text in here and it's the texter is wondering basically what is the difference between a sprint cyclist and a cyclist who wins the yellow jersey like the Slovenian okay. did? It's very simple. In essence, uh, Sam Bennett would weigh between 74, 75 kilos. Tall guy, six foot tall. And Tom and Sam would be a climber. So the sprinter's jersey came in in the 1970s. And the idea was the winner of the stage would get 50 points, second would get 30, and so on in ascending order. So it was literally brought in as a semi-competition for the, for the sprinter's teams 
that weren't targeting the yellow jersey for the winner of the race, the guy that finishes the race in the least possible time. Oh, okay, I see. That's very informative, very clear, Jay. Thanks a million for that. And thank you very much for your time here throughout the Tour de France. I hope you enjoy the tournament and you have a, a very good afternoon and enjoyable weekend. Thank you, Roshan. Have a great day. Jay Daly there, former racemate of Sam Bennett, bringing us the latest in the world of cycling.